Welcome to Crossroads Church Podcast. We are located in Northern Colorado, and you may hear us refer to ourselves as Orange Dots of Hope. And what's so cool and exciting is that Orange Dots of Hope are not just located in Northern Colorado, but our community stretches literally around the world, and we are grateful for you. And this podcast is another way for us to make our world a little bit smaller. So it's so good to be with you. My name is Jessica, and I am your host. And we are in a series called Campfire Stories. This is week five, and Ryan is back with a message titled, One Bite Won't Do. And if you're interested, go to CrossroadsColorado.com slash gather for some talk notes There's digital talk notes, or I also linked them in the show notes here if you like fill-ins. So before we get started, you may want to pause it, access those notes so that you can write down um, throughout this message and take notes. Well, before I hand it off to Ryan, here is an overview of what Campfire Stories is all about. These stories of miracles, betrayal, friendship, long journeys, campfires on the sea, deaths and resurrection would eventually find their way onto paper and into our lives through the Bible. This summer, let's meet around the campfire and explore stories that can shape our spirituality and reveal the truth of God. Make sure you prioritize connecting each week, and that's what we're doing here on the podcast. After all, you never know who you will meet and what you will hear sitting around the campfire after a long week at work. So here is Ryan with week five of Campfire Stories. Nice to see everybody. Welcome to those of you that are in the room, those of you that are tuning in online. Thanks for joining in, and uh, hopefully you're nice and comfortable uh, in some pajamas or something like that. I don't know. Mimosa with you? We don't have mimosas here, but uh, maybe you're having one right now, so good for you. I tried, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this or not at church, I tried bourbon for the first time this week. Any, any people in the room like bourbon? That's the ex- most excited you've been in two years. <laughs> Mention the word bourbon, everybody's like, yeah! That is disgusting, by the way. Like, what in the world is wrong with you people? It's like the most expensive bad time I've ever had in my life. So, you come to my house. There's some bourbon there for you if you like it. I don't know. But uh, we had some friends come into town, and, and he liked bourbon. I said, well, let's go get some. And uh, it was horrible. <laughs> Awful. So it's not ever been one. I have my vices, but bourbon isn't one of them. <laughs> so it's good to see everybody. Thanks for being here uh, as we continue on this idea of, um, I was just thinking about how I might have really offended somebody there. I apologize if I did. That's... 
I'm not very good at what I do. <laughs> let's, just, let's just call it what it is. So uh, it's great. We're in this wonderful series where we're looking at these stories that function uh, in a parabolic way. They teach us lessons, right? They teach us lessons. And if you are a guest, if this is your first time or second time, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads, which just means I get to serve all of our wonderful volunteers and this great team of colleagues that work really hard to try and create a space of compassion and hope and love and grace for our community, both here and around the world. And we have people tuning in. We have, we call them orange dots of hope all over the place. And so uh, we're grateful for that. And I would encourage you, if you are here, if you're connecting, um, there's a Facebook group. And I know that Facebook, like, trust me, I get it. And you might not be on Facebook and that's totally cool, probably a healthy decision. Uh, But uh, we do have this group that if you wanted to venture into, it's called Orange Dots of Hope. And uh, there's three or 400 folks that are in that group. And it's just a neat opportunity to stay connected with one another. We, we We don't really monitor it from a like... You can just post whatever you want, really. Um, and, but it's a great space where people put prayer requests, things that they might be going through, needs, opportunities. Maybe you have a solution that you're looking for a need for. Uh, you can put that on there. So it's neat. So just, I would encourage you to jump on there if you're on Facebook and uh, just follow that and be a part of it. It's a, it's a neat opportunity. So um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever come across a problem so big that when you try to kind of engage with it, when you try to be a part of the solution, you just... You just, at the end of the day, felt a little useless. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, there's just something going on, and you go, man, I, I want to help. It might be a friend, right? It might, be, uh, it might not be your uh, circumstance, but you might have a friend who's going to be just like, I don't know what to do, right? It, it could be this very personal idea, but, but you think to yourself, man, I don't even know what I could do to contribute <laughs> to try and help it, let alone be the person who solves the problem, right? Uh, sometimes there are just such complex issues, things that are going on, and we want to be a part of the solution. We want to help, um, but we just feel so overwhelmed that sometimes it's paralyzing. And we've, we kind of have two, I think there are two types of problems that we experience this in. First, we experience it in our personal lives, right? We have personal problems. How many of y'all would be like, yeah, I know somebody with some personal problems, right? One of them's up on the stage talking about bourbon at church, right? You're praying for me right now. You're going to join the orange dot of hope to just put all the dangers of bourbon. I get it totally. Like, first of all, yeah, I'm with you, right? But you, you know somebody. I oftentimes think like grief is one of the really classic examples of this, where we know someone or we ourselves are walking through grief, and grief is trans transforming us. And, and, and we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to come alongside someone. And so we sometimes say the most well-meaning things, but they're the most awful things. Like some of the worst things are said in the midst of grief, right? Because we just, we don't know what to do, right? We're just like in this situation where uh, I don't know what to say, but I've got to fix the problem, right? But, but we face these things, or maybe we have a friend or we ourselves are going through it, maybe a loss of a job, right? Those moments where it's just like, I don't know what to do. Like I, I I barely have enough money for my month. How do I help your month? I don't know. And, and so we just feel helpless and useless. And, and not only do we face this personally, but we face this globally as well. Like there are global problems that feel too complex to engage, right? We have these global problems that at the end of the day, when we say, I want to be a part of the solution, 
we just go, wait, it's just too big. Like, I don't know how to be a part. And so as a community of faith, we come together to try and like tackle and participate in some of these massive systemic global problems. And we say, this is kind of what the Christian faith is about. Like the kingdom of God is about enough. The kingdom of God is about equity. The kingdom of God is about uh, just, just fairness for every person. This is God's world. And so when we start to engage, it can get overwhelming. So here at Crossroads, uh, we went through like a process of discernment and said, what are the things that we feel like over the next 10 years, we as a community could jump in and and tackle together? And we're not gonna solve these problems, but we can move the needle forward together in our own way, right? So these five things that we talked about, the first one is what we'll call spiritual emptiness, spiritual emptiness. Big shout out to uh, our our friends that are in the UK watching right now. I know of one couple, uh, Val and Robin, that live in Lowestat, and they're probably watching right now. It's like the afternoon there. So big shout out to them. And I say that because I'm going to give a UK statistic right now because we want to think globally about these things. I recently read 89% of people, this is for you, Robin and Val, in the UK, 89% of young people in the UK between the ages of 16 through 29, get this, they believe that their lives have no meaning or purpose. Not 8%, 89%. 89%. And that statistic would, I think, carry over into just about any Western developed post-Christian context. That's spiritual emptiness. And you go, 89% of people ages 16 to 29, where do you even begin? We talk about poverty as our second unacceptable truth. We want to lean into and work against extreme poverty. According to the World Poverty Clock, which is a really fascinating website, if you, go, if you just Google World Poverty Clock, you can see, and it shows you, like, uh, given what's happening in the world and the efforts that are taking place, how many people have gone into poverty today, how many have come out of poverty, and they like, project out a date when poverty will be eliminated. It's really a fascinating. But according to the World Clock for Poverty, 712 million people live in extreme poverty. Today alone, 23,000 23, people fell into extreme poverty. They went from poverty to extreme poverty. 23,000 people. You go, where do, that's a dent today alone. Like where, where do we, how could we even think we make a dent in that? And we start to think, well, what could I actually do? A third area that we want to be a part of rewriting is illiteracy. That's one of our five unacceptable truths. According to UNESCO that carries statistics for a lot of um, development work that takes place in the world, 773 million illiterate adults in the world today, and most of them are women. We have a massive gender disparity in the world today when it comes to access to education and lots of other like healthcare, things like that. But you see the school supply drive. We don't do this just because it's something we ought to do. We do this because it's missional, right? This is, this is working against these, these ideas. But you go, well, will my pack of crayons really help? Uh, Katie mentioned this story we heard. That it was so powerful to get this story this week of Wendy Hurd. She's there in, in the store and this woman sees and she says, thank you. And Wendy thinks that it's because she's loading her own groceries on the like, conveyor belt. And she says, no, like, thank you for buying these school supplies and donating them. And she starts to cry. I mean, she's overwhelmed with gratitude because she said, there was a time in my life where I was having to choose between buying food and buying school supplies, right? You, now you're combining poverty and illiteracy, like this whole complexity that's all, it's this web. And now you even go, what do I do with that, right? Am I actually making a difference? 
A third area that we want to work in as a church is what we call fear of others. You could call it hatred because that's really what it is, um, hatred. But this fear of others, particularly racism, sexism, homophobia, we want to be a part of rewriting this story. Last November, a report came out from the FBI uh, talking about hate crimes here in America. And it said that in in 2019, because that's the latest statistics, this came out in 2020. In 2019, the US rose to the highest level in more than a decade when it comes to hate crimes. Like we're moving in the wrong direction of hate. If there's now more than ever that we need churches that are, 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 are grounded in a, a, a God that loves the world, like holy, fully loves the world, that welcomes all, like we need that desperately. And then our fifth area, which is really tied into a lot of these others, is human trafficking. Like globally and locally, human trafficking is, is just absolutely mind-boggling. 40, over 40 million victims of human trafficking globally, right? Modern-day slavery. Uh, 81% of them are trapped in forced labor. 75% are women and girls. Again, this extraordinarily disproportionate reality in gender. 75% are women and girls. One in four victims of human trafficking are children, Statistically speaking, the International Labor Organization says $150 billion industry worldwide. $150 billion industry. And you go, well, here's my 20 bucks for the offering. Good luck with that. Right? Like, that's great. We're going to do it, right? It's, it's no wonder, right, with this type of reality, right? This is truth. This is reality. That's why we call it unacceptable truths, because it is true. We have to, first of all, honor that, but then we say it's unacceptable. But it's no wonder why Paul wrote in this letter to a group of people in Galatians. He said, let's not grow weary or tired of doing good. <laughs> right? Like, he only wrote that because it's super easy to grow weary and tired of doing good. Right? He can say all he wants, oh, at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. You only have to write that if you want to give up. And you want to give up because you feel useless. It's easy to grow weary in doing good when you feel useless. When you just wonder, does it even matter? Does it matter? So I, I, I put a drop in the bucket of poverty, a drop in the bucket, but what does it matter? And as I think about the, those feelings, and as I think about the truth of like, what we as individuals by ourselves can actually do, what we can actually bring. I, I'm reminded of this story of a kid who said, I think I can make a difference. And he trusted Jesus. And I would think if I were sitting down in my home with people and, and we were talking and they were to begin to share with me, but I, I really have this heart for uh, literacy. I have this heart for ending human trafficking. I have a heart for poverty. I have a heart for my friends who are grieving. And I don't know what to do. I would, I would hope that over a nice warm beverage, because that's what you do when you're feeling a little down, you have a warm beverage. If you've watched The Big Bang Theory, it's a rule in life. As we'd be sitting there, I would offer a warm beverage and then I'd say, can I tell you a story about a kid? A kid who decided to trust Jesus. And we, we see this story in all four of the gospels. And we see this story shaped differently in all four of them as well because it served a really unique purpose. But in John chapter six, this, the, the gospel of John, we see this amazing story where Jesus had left Jerusalem right after, uh, according to in John's narrative, it was like after the time of Passover. So there's big crowds. People are probably journeying back home. He's going back into the region of Galilee and he's gathered by the Sea of Galilee. Now, one thing you have to know is that Jesus had become quite popular in Galilee. 
right? So Galilee was the region that, that, that Jesus grew up in. Nazareth was a part of this area, and he grew up in Lower Galilee. And there was a lot happening in Lower Galilee. If we're ever going to understand Jesus, if we're ever going to understand Scripture, if we're ever going to think about how to apply it to our lives correctly, we have to understand the historical matrix in which all of this literature came into being. And Galilee was a hotbed uh, because two things had happened over the course of about 40 years in Galilee. You had two massive uh, urban centers being developed by uh, Herod. And so Herod had said, uh, this one town of Sepphoris, which was just outside of Nazareth, like six kilometers away, a little over three miles, very close to the village that Jesus would have grown up in, was starting to boom. And Sepphoris was considered to be kind of the capital of Galilee for many years. But then, uh, and I think it was about, it was probably around four, I think it was, or maybe, no, maybe it was the year 18, he decides... Herod decides, I'm going to create a new city on the seacoast to honor the, the emperor and try and get in good with the emperor because he wanted to be king of Judah. He was only a governor of just an area. And so he creates a brand new metropolis, a brand new city called Tiberias, named after Tiberius. Thank you. Thank you for paying attention, Jim. I appreciate that. Jim's the only one who cares about history right now. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, and so, so what you have are these two massive cities, urban cities being developed by Rome, and it's creating a, a peasantry that is being oppressed and abused. And this is the climate that Jesus grows up in. He grows up as a tradesman, which cities were not good for the trades. What was happening, land was being taken over. It's this massive collision with the Jewish value that you never sell your land with Roman imperialism that's taking land to try and feed cities. And you have two massive cities coming. So Jesus is really popular amongst the peasants because Jesus is saying, this isn't the way of God. This isn't the way of the kingdom. So when Jesus talks about blessed are the poor, when Jesus talks about loving your enemy, all of these things, when he talks about, you have to understand that matrix with which he's, he's grown up in. He's seen John the Baptist and John's program not work. Like they beheaded John, right? He was probably, Jesus was probably a disciple of his cousin for a season. And then he sees, well, that way didn't work. Right? And so he begins to talk about a different kingdom that isn't based upon any one person, but it's, but it's for everyone. And so in this moment, he's super popular. So the crowds are gathering. They find out that he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They all come around. And the text says there's like 5,000 people. And so Jesus looks out and he sees all these people and he realizes it's getting late. They've been listening. It's like a sermon here at Crossroads. They're just like, man, it's three o'clock. Can we wrap this up? I got a chicken in the oven, Ryan, you know? And so, so Jesus looks at Philip, one of his friends, one of the disciples, and he says, hey, Phil, like, what do you think here? Like, where should we buy food? And the text says that Jesus was kind of like playing a little joke on Philip, like just seeing what he would do. He, Cause he had a plan, he knew what he was gonna do. But what we see is like, Philip hears this question. He just thinks Jesus has lost his mind. He's just like, man, the, the Galilean son has got to you, right? You haven't had, like, like, what are you talking about? Where are we gonna buy food? He's like, are you crazy, Jesus? It's, it would take half a year's wages to buy a bite for everyone, a bite. Not feed everyone, but a bite, half a year's wages. He just, Philip goes into like, well, let's buy it. If we're gonna buy it, Jesus, that's crazy talk, but here's how this works. Here's how the world works. We gotta go find it. We go buy it from somebody and then we're gonna feed everybody. And then Andrew, one of the other disciples, like he speaks up. Because he found this kid who's got a couple of pieces of bread, a couple of dried fish. I hope they're dried fish, raw fish. Like that's, I don't know how that works in the Sea of Galilee, honestly. But he probably has some dried fish. 
And Andrew looks at the situation and Andrew thinks that what he actually has to provide compared to the problem is useless, right? Andrew's like, listen, we got five loaves and two fish this boy here has brought up to us, but what good is that? What good are five loaves and two fish or fishes depending upon where you were raised? What good is it? What are we gonna do with it? I mean, it's, it's impossible. Jesus, I love it. He just says, okay, so... We've got the worldly way of doing things, which says you got to go buy it, the economics of the world, that if we just follow the economics of the world, there isn't enough for everybody. And we got, we got Andrew over here who's like, well, what I have is absolutely useless. Like just, and so Jesus said, well, why don't you just bring it here? Let me see. And he says, do me a favor. Like, let's, let's divide everybody up. Some of the stories talk about Jesus dividing everybody up to more manageable size. Let's put 50 over here and 100 over here. Let's just break them up into groups. Let's see what happens. And he takes the bread he takes the fish. And in kind of a, a very similar manner to the way in which he would take communion, these are all stories that are tied together. That's why I think there's a parabolic nature to them. So the story goes, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he prays a blessing over it and he thanks God for it and takes and does the same with the fish. And he says, all right, let's just, let's go for it. Just go ahead and feed everybody. And at the end of the story, after everybody had their fill, there were 12 baskets left over of food. 12 baskets. Now remember the reality that most of these folks that are out there are peasants. They're oppressed. They probably don't have daily bread. That's why the prayer, give us today our daily bread, was quite literally, give us today our daily bread. Because of the matrix, the historicity of what Jesus was dealing with and what was happening in that day. There's 12 baskets. Left and what I love is that Jesus loved leftovers. <laughs> right? Jesus was like, box that up. <laughs> Box it up. Waste not, want not, right? Like some of you are left over. Like you don't, you order and you're like, just put it in the bag. I'm going to take it all as leftovers, right? You just love, there are some things that are just better heated up. And I bet you that those leftovers were better heated up, right? You don't eat that bread and not go, what happened? What happened? You, you, you don't have a, a conversation. Like, it's like if you go to a restaurant and you take home leftovers and you start eating it and you're like, oh, it's so good. And like, you remember the people who were at the restaurant with you. Like, you gotta imagine that's what happened. You gotta imagine it. And, and one of the things I don't want us to miss about this beautiful story that has lasted over 2,000 years that is true all the time, but who knows how historic, who, who in the world knows how historically accurate this is? But it's true. Like, that's the beauty of these stories. Like, it's truth. And the thing that we don't want to miss that is so true about this is that nothing is useless in the hands of Jesus. Nothing. If we will take and let it pass through the hands of Jesus, nothing is useless. Nothing. That, that, I think that's one of the key long-term takeaways. Rip the story out of its historical realities. Rip it out of the point of the original people that passed this story on. What we learn today and what will always be true for every generation that hears this story, that says there's truth in this story, that wants to apply it, is to say there's nothing in my life if I put it in the hands of Jesus, the one who lives, whatever that means for you, who is alive, living, it's not useless. 
And we hold that in faith. And so in your everyday normal life, when you're walking into these situations and you say, I have the heart of a peacemaker, I want to bring peace and wholeness into this world, but I feel so overwhelmed with my own problems. I feel so overwhelmed with your problems. I feel so overwhelmed with the problems of the world. What could I possibly do? A couple things that I think this story can, can bring to our hearts. First of all is this, Jesus always has a plan for the problems in our lives. I just believe that. Now, what I don't believe is that Jesus planned the problems in our lives, okay? That I don't believe. I don't believe for a second that, that the God of the universe who creates and sustains that I proclaim in faith is good has anything to do with death, pain, suffering, loss. It's not like I just don't believe the cosmos, that the universe is like, you need a dish of humble pie, so I'm going to kill your family with cancer. That's, that is not how love works. It's just not. But love says, this awful reality that has happened in your life, I've got a plan for it. This is what happens in John 6. This is what John wrote, right? John said, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, hey, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? And I love this. He only asked it to test him. I want to see where Philip's head is. Is his head in the game? Is his head in the kingdom of God? Where is it? He wanted Philip to say, what do we need to buy bread for? You're here. What do we need to buy bread for? Look at who's around. Surely all the resources are here among us. We just need to ask politely, right? He was testing him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. He had a plan for the problem. Wasn't surprised by it. This, I think, is more about, like, if I can just big theology, like the omniscience of God, like this idea that, that God is all-knowing. Like, I think that's the idea that love actually can formulate a plan for all circumstances, all realities. That's what's so powerful about God, what we call God, is that if we're willing to, we'll recognize there, there can be a plan for this problem. Just as we even pray today with folks, there's, there, God is in the midst of it. Didn't plan it, didn't want it, didn't desire it. It's here, it's present, it's a reality. And the goodness of God says, I've got a plan for it. And when we face these problems and we say, okay, there is a plan for it, we should trust the power of thankfulness in the midst of it. I love that Jesus took the loaves, it says in verse 11. He took the loaves and he gave thanks for what he had. Five loaves gave thanks. 5,000 people, one kid willing to give it up and help out. Nobody else, nobody else was like, well, we got this. One kid comes up. I imagine mom and dad are like, get back, it's our lunch. What do you think you're doing? Get over here. Unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So he comes with his five loaves of two fish. And I love that Jesus gave thanks. And then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. There is an important reality to having a heart of thanksgiving for the fish that we have, for the loaves that we have, to not get caught up in what we don't have. We have this great story in, uh, this, in Acts, the book of Acts, where, where a couple of the disciples are coming alongside and there's somebody who needs healed. And he says, or he's, and he's asking for money. And uh, they said, well, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. Right, that, that disposition, that heart, what I have, I can give. And so I'm thankful for that. Whatever my five loaves are, whatever my two fish are in this circumstance, in this reality, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it and I'm gonna be thankful for it. I think it's powerful to think that Jesus was thankful for the little boy, right? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was thankful for you? Oh man, I'm so thankful that Gwen is here today. Man, I'm just so thankful that she works with those kids. Thank you for that 
I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that Robin is watching today in the UK because Robin's going to have experiences this next week to encourage people with her positivity and her grace. I'm so thankful for that. Like, could you imagine Jesus praying and being thankful for you? Boy, that would be a great life mission. I just want Jesus to be thankful that I'm there. I think, wouldn't it be funny, Jesus, man, thank God Ryan was there, right? We're like, oh no, Ryan's there, right? <laughs> and then as we, as we live in this heart of thankfulness and we step out with our five loaves and two fish, I think this story should remind us that courage and generosity are contagious. Courage and generosity are contagious. So this little boy comes to Andrew, right? And says, hey, I got, I got five loaves and two fish. And Andrew speaks up, right? And he says, we've got this boy with five small fish and five small barley loaves. Like two fish, five loaves. Like how far is that gonna go? But once it's in Jesus' hands, I think the courage of this little boy became a miracle. I think, I think we miss the power of the little boy and we get fixated on theistic, like, like transcendental, like God stepped in and did this popcorn kind of miracle, but I don't know that that's how it happened. Like I, I would think that when you say when everybody had enough, like the text says, that they gathered all that was left over and nothing was gonna be wasted. So they gathered it all up. They filled 12 baskets, it says, with pieces of five barlows and, 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 and everybody had eaten. Everybody had eaten. And I like to imagine the real miracle in this story is that people were generous. And not just people, but peasants who were oppressed, who had very little for themselves, who didn't even know if they had their daily bread. See, the real miracle was people being able and willing to give their five loaves and their two fish because they saw one person do it. One person do it. So I'll just lay my cards on the table. I don't know where that phrase came from because I never played cards, but uh, not a sinner. I just drink, <laughs> just drink bourbon every now and then. <laughs> Can I just, I'll just be real with you. Like, some people take this story very literally that Jesus, and then it was just like the bread just kept coming. Like it was just multiplying in his hand. Could have happened that way. I have no problems with that. Me personally, I find the bigger miracle is in these groups of 50 and 100 people, they saw Jesus and they just started imitating Jesus. What do we have here? And people started going, well, we brought a couple figs and we brought some bread. It's hard for me to imagine that the only Jewish mama that day was one who packed lunch for their family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, people right? It's just really hard for me to imagine that. Like there's only one, you know, like that was Mother Teresa incarnate back then, you know, right? No, I think, I think they, they modeled it and they saw it in groups of 50 and 100 and they just began to say, what do I have? What do you have? What do you have? And so they just began to imitate Jesus and everybody had enough. Everybody had enough. See, I think that's the miracle. And I think if our faith is grounded in this idea that we're just waiting for God, like we just have this idea of, of just like supernatural theism, like God's gonna come down and make everything okay someday. God's gonna come down and feed everybody. Then I think we miss it. But if we recognize the call of the Christian faith is to imitate Jesus, I think that's the heart of the story. Imitate Jesus. Why this carried into communities? Because what the story was about was saying, your community will succeed if you act like Jesus. If you take what you have, if your community is 50 or if your community is 100, 
and you'll pass it through the way of Jesus, there'll be enough for everybody. And that's why this makes the world a better place. That's why it's peacemaking. When you actually catch the point that my five loaves, my two fish, I could use it all on myself, but this isn't the vision of God for the world. God's vision isn't that I have five loaves and two fish and you have no. God's vision is that we all have enough. I don't believe God's vision is that we all have one bite. That's a, that's a big part of this story, right? And that's the hope that's found for the peasantry is that it's not God's vision for you to have a bite and for there to be this massive meal over here with all the landholders that, that, that stole your land. No, God's vision is that everybody has enough. And if we all live like that, there's actually plenty left over. If we'll actually capture God's vision for the world. See, the way this world thinks is like Philip, who says it would take more than half a year's wages, and at that point, everyone would only get a bite. Because Philip, like all of us, are trapped in the economics of this world. We think this is how it has to work. But Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 just, just let me have it. <laughs> just let me have it. And put it under my vision and my care. And so Jesus takes it and distributes it to everybody, and they all had enough. And I just still believe that Jesus will still feed the 5,000 people when we're willing to trust him with our stuff. And that we don't have to get caught up in how big the problem is that there's 773 million illiterate adults in the world. We don't have to get caught up in the problem that 89% of, of, of young people in the UK have, find that their lives have no meaning. I don't have to get caught up in that. I just have to, as a community, say, I'm gonna bring what I have to the table and trust in God's vision, it will work. And so we all, I think, sit in these spaces where we have our 5,000 that need to be fed, right? And we go, what do I do? What do I do? I think today, and maybe God's inviting you to think, well, what should you do? What should you do? Is my hope for us as a church that we all would feel and hear the spirit whispering, like, I'm inviting you to participate in rewriting these five unacceptables. I'm inviting you to go on a 10-year journey. I'm inviting you to think about church totally different than everybody else in Western Christianity. By that, I mean that it's not about whether I like the songs. It's not about whether I agree with everything the pastor says. It's not about whether this happens or I get to pick the color or I'm in charge. It's about actually seeing the kingdom of heaven be brought into the kingdom of this world and built out and making a long-term commitment because that's the only way things change is longevity. We change our, I mean, that's why Christianity has stood the test of time, right? Because people have stuck with it. And so I think desperately what we need are churches, local churches that will grab a hold of something so much bigger than they could ever imagine they could do and just trust, just bringing my five loaves and my two fish every week, just being a part of it. And so we think here in terms of 10 years, what does that look like? What could we be a part of with God, with the spirit, with local organizations, with global organizations? How does it mean to see the kingdom of heaven on earth? That's why Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven. It's a metaphor, right? It's all together, coming together. So I hope you hear God whispering you to say, make a 10-year commitment. I'm serious about that, by the way. Like people think I'm crazy. Like when people volunteer, like you know what most people in churches, they want you to volunteer for like, will you just volunteer for six months with the kids? I'm like, what is that? I'm like, you need to volunteer for five years. I don't know why you're laughing. That's not a joke. Six months just makes you feel good about yourself. Five years will change the life of a child. What do you want to do? 
Like, that's the way I look at it. Like, what do you really, I mean, yeah, if we want to make you, if the goal of my job is to make you feel better, then just volunteer for six months, check it off the box and say, look what I did and post on Facebook the picture and you'll feel good about yourself. That's wonderful. You just won't change anybody's life. And your life won't be changed either. But you say, I'm going to give five years of my life and I'm going to track with a first grader all the way to sixth grade, a kindergartner all the way to fifth grade. I'm going to start with a sixth grader, and I'm going to walk with them and graduate and partner with this family. Now you're going to be transformed. Now you're going to see a life change. Now we're really digging in. It's just not easy. I mean, but it's five loaves and two fish, right? That's what it is. That's, so, so I hope you hear God's Spirit inviting you to make a 10-year commitment to say, no matter what happens, this is what I'm called to because it's bigger than Ryan. It's bigger than Katie. It's bigger than Isaac. It's bigger than anybody else. It's bigger than the kids. It's, it's just bigger. And so I'm in. And some of you made that commitment. You've been here longer than, I mean, it's like, I'm like, why are you still here? <laughs> but boy, that's contagious, right? Remember, that's what's contagious. So I hope you hear that whisper. And I hope you hear the spirit whispering you today to just bring your five loaves and two fish. Like just, that's all it is right? Just bring your five loaves and two fish and just trust. Trust the community, trust Jesus, but just bring it. Just bring it. Stop worrying about whether it'll make a difference. Just bring it. And by the way, I should say this too. I'm like super gracious person around five. Life happens, right? You make a commitment. Life happens. Your job, you move, you get sick. I mean, that's not the point, right? The point isn't like law, like five years. If you don't do it, then we're kicking you out and the church discipline and I've never exercised church this month. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But we make that commitment with the best of intention because we just go, all I'm committing is my five loaves and two fish. Like, that's it. I'm not going to commit to 10 loaves when I only got five. That's just nerve wracking. So I hope you hear the spirit whisper. And here's something that is really fun to do. <laughs> I don't know why I say it's fun. You're going to be like, this is not fun, Ryan. Why did you say it's fun? I would encourage everybody who says, I'm going to make that commitment to be a part of, of this community and to lean in and to bring my five loaves and two fish. I would encourage you to discover your five loaves and two fish by make a list of everything you own and ask this question, God, how can you use this to heal and restore the world? Everything. Everything that God has entrusted into your care. Everything. Write it down on paper. Just make a big old long list and just say, how could you use this, God? And just wait for the answer. You got a boat. How could I use this? I could take Ryan out on it. <laughs> Heal and restore his life. You got some bourbon. I could invite somebody over who will enjoy it, right? <laughs> well, all that, I, I, I think we, we, we oftentimes get lost in, I got to have all these big gifts. It's just, no, it's like, what do you have? And then how do I reframe that by, this isn't, how could God use this? And you'll be amazed You'll be amazed. You keep that list. You'll be amazed. You just say, God, how do you want to use it? You'll see it. You'll start to see it because you're preparing your soul to actually see what God's been doing forever around you. And then life gets really interesting, right? Life gets really interesting. We were talking with the kids this week. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. If you want to grab your connect card and just think about next steps or get your offering ready. Um, we got to talk with the kids during the story and we talked about, it was funny, the curriculum we used, they had like the day of Pentecost. This is a total church person. If you're a church person and you know the story, if you don't know the story, just fill out your connect card, whatever. Um, and, and it's this really interesting story in the book of Acts where people are all gathered in this room and a wind comes by and they see like fire in the sky. And I'm like trying to talk to like second graders about like, well, who picks this story, right? Um, <laughs> But it was really great because we were able to talk to the kids about, you know, the first thing that the church did when it was born wasn't 
develop a catechism of everything you have to believe. It wasn't by a building. They took everything that they had and they said, if you have a need and I can, I can meet it, I'll do that. That was the first thing, like that was the hallmark of the church. And it just hit me today as I was praying with people and thinking about what's been posted in the orange dot, like every need that we have as a community in the life of our church is the resources are here to meet. If we'll just make them available, they're all there and it's never a burden on any one person. It's just, it's powerful. But that was the first act of the church was to say, how do we hold things in common? It wasn't communism. It wasn't like everything is owned by this person. No, it was, this is my stuff. <laughs> this is, these are my things. But when I see a need, I just, I just give it and I use it. It's a powerful reality. It's totally different than what we think of in terms of Western Christianity. But it's, it's why the church survives because there's always a faithful segment that kind of holds to those values. So we got this song that says, you have called me higher. And so I would just encourage you, this is a great prayer to close our time together. And to just sing this as a prayer that I could just sit in the comfort of my kind of Western, like very personal, I'm good with God, I said the prayer kind of spirituality, or I read my Bible today. But I, I could sit there and be really comfortable and feel really good about myself, but I'm not gonna do that because I'm gonna know that you've called me into something higher. You've called me into the spaces where there's 5,000 and my mind tells me there's no way I could do it, but I'm just gonna give my five loaves and my two fish. So. Now the song that Ryan is setting up is Called Me Higher by All Sons and Daughters. It's one of our favorites, and we can't include it on the podcast here for copyright reasons. So go and download it. Find it. Called Me Higher by All Sons and Daughters. And I will also drop a link in the show notes for you to find that. Well, thank you again for being here. And before we go to Ryan's blessing, let me give you a little bit of information about what's going on here. First of all, we had an amazing kids camp this past week, and I know we've been talking about it for weeks building up to it. If you volunteered, thank you, thank you, thank you. It truly was our favorite week of the summer. And we're taking a turn and we're getting ready for school to start. And we are currently loading up on school supplies for our neighborhood school, Edmondson Elementary. So you can also put a note in your giving if you'd like to give toward the school supply drive for Edmondson. And that leads me to giving. That is an important thing that we do each time that we gather. There are many ways you can give and you are funding a mission that supports so many in Northern Colorado, but truly around the world. When you heard Ryan talking about those five unacceptables, we are funding a mission here. So you can go to crossroadscolorado.com slash give to see the different ways you can give online, give to text, or through Venmo. The Connect card is the best way for you to be in contact with us and for us to stay in touch with each other. You can find the digital Connect card on that gather page at crossroadscolorado.com slash gather and go ahead and fill out whatever you're comfortable sharing, your name, your email. You can click that you're new here, or you can click that you're a regular attender or a regular listener. And if you are filling this out and hearing it on the podcast for the first time, I want to know who you are. 
and drop a comment in that section saying that you are a podcast listener. I want to connect with you. So before we wrap up, here comes Ryan with a blessing of the week. I think this is one of my favorite parts of every time we gather is to open up our hands and receive this blessing. So if you're not driving, if you're able and you're in a place, just pause and close your eyes and open your hands or keep your eyes on the road and receive this blessing from Ryan. Raise your hands up like that. You can clap first. That's great. That's great. That's good. That's good. Got a blessing for you. If you just uh, open up your arms, open up your heart and your life to receive hopefully what is truth in a world that consistently wants to bombard us with lies. And we have to say thank you to Caleb who played drums today, who this was first time and used his five loaves and his two fish. So that's great. You don't think these are like just real normal people. It's who we are. So just close your eyes, take a nice deep breath. May God bless you and keep you and may hope flood your soul this week. And as you leave the comfort of this gathering and walk into the pain and problems of life, may you know, may you know somewhere in the deepest part of your being that Jesus has a plan for the problems in our lives. And as you look out at your 5,000, that situation that seems impossible, may you hear the spirit of Jesus whispering into your heart and into your soul, what should we do together about this? And may you find your five loaves and two fish, those things that you think of as useless in the face of such complex problems like spiritual emptiness, poverty, illiteracy, hatred, and human trafficking. And once you find your loaves, may you also find the courage to place them in the hands of Jesus that he might offer thanksgiving to his Father for you. And then that he might multiply your gifts beyond your wildest dreams this week. Amen. Have an awesome week, everybody.